What's up, Maple Grove? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hey, hey, today's going to be a little bit different, as, as you can tell. Um, and uh, <clears throat> before we get into what we're going to do today, um, I'd I just like to read a, a passage of Scripture um, from Psalm chapter 46. Um, it's a great psalm. Um, there's a lot of things in our world today that can cause fear, right? You know, whether it's the economy, right, whether it's the election, whether it's your job, whether it's your health, whether it's the coronavirus or whatever. Um, but I think this psalm really speaks well to where our trust needs to be any time in our life when we're facing fear. It's from uh, it's Psalm uh, chapter uh, 46. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble at the water surging. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. For the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are our fortress and our refuge. Father God, we just pray that uh, we will be a people, Lord, that the world can look upon and see that though the nations rage, though earthquakes come, Lord, the devastation sometimes comes our way, Lord, that, that we do not fear because we know that you're with us. And God, I, I just pray that if someone in the room right now is afraid, facing some difficulty, God, that they will be still and know that you're God. God, that you have their back. You have their back yesterday, you have their back today, and you'll have their back always. God, may your church in troubled times uh, be a rock of refuge for this world uh, that so many times is in chaos, Lord, and does not know where to turn. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, today this is called This Is Us, and uh, uh, next week we're going to begin our, our sermon series on the, on the book of Mark, uh, but today... Um, going to have an opportunity for you guys to get to know. Some of you guys know these men maybe more than you want to know them. <laughs> yeah, just kidding, uh, maybe. Um, um, but uh, some of you don't know them that well. And so this is an opportunity where they're going to share uh, a little bit about their story, uh, a little bit about maybe what their favorite uh, Bible character is and why. Uh, but first, starting with Jeff and going this way, and just have you guys you know, introduce yourself, you know, just uh, what your career was since some of you are retired. <laughs> Uh, uh, what it is, and briefly about like how many uh, kids you have. Jeff Ainge uh, from North Carolina, the East Coast. Probably my accent gives it away. A lot of you can guess. Uh, retired from the National Ground Intelligence Center. Uh, facility management was my uh, career path. Steve Bailey from uh, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're laughing because that's funny. But, um, but I've lived in Virginia most of my life. I went to Virginia Tech and 
Then I moved to Manassas, and from there I lived in Charlottesville since 1987. I worked most of my, my life in Rivanna Station for NGIC and DA. Been retired now for three years. Wow, it's time flies when you're having awesome fun. <laughs> but anyway, so now I'm a full-time employee for God. Amen. 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 My name's Tom Zacholars. Um, I grew up a couple miles from this guy in Baltimore. Uh, we didn't know each other, which was a good thing. Yeah. I've <laughs> uh, been in Charlottesville since 1990 and uh, been a real estate agent for the last 16 or so years. Okay. Not retiring anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are. And uh, briefly about your family. Like, have, are, you, are you married, children, stuff like that? <laughs> I am. I am married. <laughs> I'm married this wonderful woman, there Ginger. Uh, turned my life around in Amen. many ways, or fulfilled my life, I should say, and nice. and turned it around. And and uh, Lauren and Lindsay uh, are my girls. Uh, Lindsay married Carter Ellis, and now we have one granddaughter. Uh, Charlotte May Ellis, and uh, they're all the light of our lives, and uh, we're having a great time supporting them. It's uh, it's our number one thing to do, that we like to do. I'm married to Karen Bailey. We got married May 11th, 2013. Still remember the date. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before that, I was a widower for a while, still attending church here. We have two children. We have uh, Amanda who lives with her husband and three kids up in Gainesville, Virginia, up near Manassas. And we have a son and his wife that live in uh, Philadelphia. We have three grandkids, which is the love of our life. We spoil them quite often. (laughs) And it's a delight doing it too. Awesome. Uh, My wife, Sheila, and I, when we were married 22 years ago, uh, she moved down from Northern Virginia, and we were quickly looking for a church and uh, came into uh, Maple Grove and heard that God's word was being preached here, and so that's been our home for 22 years. Uh, Trent, Mm -hmm. uh, our son, who was not playing the piano this morning. Hmm. (laughs) So the, the young lady back here, that was not Trent. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, Trent's running tech over there and filming us. Uh, <clears throat> so we've we've been here our entire married life and uh, just just love the the word of God being preached from the pulpit here. No grandkids, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, just Trent. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, all right. Uh, and we'll start with Steve, and then uh, then Jeff, then Tom, and I'll mix it up each time to confuse you guys. Uh, no uh, but first, share a little bit about your your, your story. What you'd like to share with the folks here, uh, as far as coming to the Lord, whatever you want to share. Oh, yeah, the Bible person. No, your story. Come, yeah, your story. Oh, go back. <laughs> <laughs> not not Moses. Well, we, we we talked about this a lot. We're good. <laughs> um, so I, how I come to to know the Lord. Uh, uh, probably a lot of you have heard of, of me whining about being a poor kid from West Virginia with a elderly parents. My, my dad was 48, my, my mom was 44 when I was born, so it was a little bit strange. And I had a brother and sister, and my sister was married, and 
already uh, had a baby, so I, I was, the day I was born, I became an uncle. I became a brother and an uncle, <laughs> and a son, I'll tell you. Uh -huh. So, uh, and I, my brother was uh, in high, senior in high school, and there's a really funny story. My mom said she told my brother that she was going to have a baby, and she thought he would be embarrassed or aggravated, and he thought it was funny. He started laughing, and, <laughs> and she said she didn't know what he was laughing about. You know, she was pretty serious, pretty stoic about it, but but anyway, uh, I was thankful that I was born in a family that everybody loved the Lord, both not, not only parents, but grandparents and brother and sister. So, so that, that made it very good. I, I, I went to church my whole life from the time I was two weeks old till, till now. And so, so it, it gave me a really good foundation. Um, the little church we went to was uh, a Methodist church, had about 80 people. And we had a, a, a halftime pastor. Uh, the way they did it, at least in those days back in West Virginia, you had a you had a, a pastor, but he would serve several churches. So our, our, uh, his name was Fred Cook, and he he preached at our church from eleven to twelve, and another church from nine to ten, and wow. another church that night from six to seven. Wow. So, so uh, and it was very structured. We uh, we we sent most of our tithes and offerings to the uh, Charleston, and then that trickled down for for monies we needed and stuff like that. And uh, it was the 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 preachers also got encouragement on what to preach and stuff, which was you know completely different from our church here. We weren't autonomous at all. They they selected a pastor and sent him, and and so we really didn't hear the gospel message a lot. At least not as clear as a lot of us needed to hear it. So we would augment that by having revivals. And that th these would be like the inverse of our normal church service. These would be evangelists. And, and it was nothing but five or six days of, of you know, your status with the Lord and what you needed to do to, to be saved. And so I had went to a number of these, but uh, when I was 12 years and nine months old, I... I remember we had one, and, and it was this guy was really on fire for the Lord. In fact, almost terrifying to me <laughs> because he he. I remember the it was a Thursday night, and he asked the question: Would do you, if you died right now? Do you know where you would go? Mm -hmm. And that's really a question. <clears throat> excuse me. That all of us need to to address in our lives, but for me, it was like, holy cow, I don't know where I'd go. I really didn't because I knew I'd done good things, but I was also a sneaky little kid, so I'd done a lot of bad things too. So I was, I was and, and hearing him lay out the plan of salvation, I was, I was ready to go forward. And so I did, and it was, you know, it was the greatest thing I ever did. Uh, there, there is one warning I would have. I, I embraced Jesus as my Savior, but I didn't really connect the dots on him being the Lord of my life. And so, as my buddy Mike Drew says, I got fire insurance that day, but I didn't get life insurance. I didn't get mm -hmm. a way to, you know, navigate through, through the life and everything. And so, uh, about less than a year after that, my dad died. And so that combination of things really uh, left me wandering for quite a while. So it was over a decade before I finally turned my life over uh, to the Lord, and so it's it's been a journey after that. It's, I guess I'm a slow learner. I, I just feed bits of my life. It seems like to the Holy Spirit to take in charge of. But 
hopefully now I'm getting to the point I can throw all of it his way and just let him have at it. But that's kind of my story. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, North Carolina East Coast is all about agriculture and water. So we grew up playing a lot of sports, swimming a lot, hunting, trapping, and fishing. So that's what I remember around the age of when I received the Lord. I, too, was around 12 years old. And I remember the Steinses, uh, Homer and Peggy Steins, were the minister and his wife. And David Rhodes was the youth leader there. These were all great people. And all the people who taught the Sunday school classes uh, were just terrific. I remember... Uh, some old guy, Jay Winton Sawyer, giving us a dollar if we could memorize Bible verses and stuff. We, we thought that was a little odd, but yet that, that was his passion. You know, and he, he didn't mind trying things. So that's what uh, uh, Mr. Sawyer uh, did. So all this really made an impression on me and just how much uh, Homer and Peggy invested in the kids. You could tell that they they loved us kids and they took us to basketball events and and we played a lot of volleyball and and my youth minister custom made my first surfboard. I I still have it and and there's a lot of special sharing that went on. But uh, my coming to Christ was just being convinced through that gradual receiving of the word and finally understanding Um, that I was a sinner too and that I I needed Christ's special gift of salvation so that I'd better step in. In those days, uh, uh, even us young guys and gals, we walked up front. So, I mean, the church, you'd go by it now and you'd say, well, that's just a little small cinder block church. They built a new one now and it's much larger and they built a couple of them. But uh, back when I was 12, it seemed huge. You know, so when I had to, from the back, walk all the way up to the front, it seemed like, wow, this is just a a big deal. But uh, it it was a big deal. But I was just glad that I was giving my life to to Christ, and that was the really big deal. But everything seemed a lot bigger at 12. And I can remember the minister showing us these old Jewel Miller films, showing me personally, just me and him at special time. And, and it had the sound effects with the lightning and the thunder going, and, you, and it was just a slideshow. So it was one slide at a time with the recording going of the lightning and thunder. And I thought, wow, this is really something else, you know. So, you know, this experience I'm having with my minister. So, you know, it, but it was informative. I, I got the message. I, I committed my life to Christ, and sure, I slipped up plenty and needed to to come back and rededicate myself and get in the word and get serious but that was a special moment for me of making that confession and that dedication of my life to Christ amen I don't know why uh, pastor Steve has me going last Every, every time. Clean up. Clean up. <laughs> Save me the best for last. That's it, man. So I'm, I'm a little different. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we love diversity. Yeah. I, I grew up in the, in the Catholic Church in Baltimore, and uh, so I knew about Jesus as far back as, as you know, 
I can recall. Uh, we were always going to church. There was uh, love throughout the house. Uh, I was very blessed. I've got two brothers and two sisters. Uh, so I was baptized as an infant and in the Catholic church, and, and we've got quite a blend here at Maple Grove from a lot of different denominations. I know at one point we had um, some folks, folks of the Muslim faith here too that, that uh, accepted Jesus. Um, so in, in the Catholic church, you have in eighth grade, you, you have a confirmation where you spend six months studying about um, your infant baptism, what it meant to you, and uh, you make, as a, as a teenager, you uh, reaffirm what your parents did as a child. Uh, so I never doubted uh, that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. Uh, but it, it, for me, it was much more of a, this is the thing that you do. Um, you know, you're, you're baptized. In second grade, you have Holy Communion. In eighth grade, you've got confirmation. And then there's, there's other sacraments in the Catholic Church. Uh, so I always knew that Jesus was my Savior. Um, as I got older, uh, I started having questions, you know, about the Lordship of Jesus. And, um, you know, reading in the New Testament about it and, and having some uh, doctrinal questions uh, about the, the extra layers in, in the Catholic Church, never doubting that Jesus uh, died for me. Uh, but as I came here to Maple Grove, uh, you know, and, and really um, jumped in my whole body in, into the into the Bible and uh, Thursday mornings, which I still do Thursday mornings with a couple men, uh, question and answer with the Bible and men's accountability. Uh, things really coming forward to me is as uh, is Christ my Lord, and if so, then um, am I following His command, following His lead? And so that took time because, you know, here at Maple Grove, being part of the Christian church, uh, you know, they teach that um, baptism is an integral part of following in the Lordship and your salvation. And so, the, you know, I had the, the baggage coming from, you know, growing up in, in, in a different denomination. And, you know, got to the point where, you know, why am I not doing what Jesus did? Amen. You know, if Jesus is my Savior, which I, you know, I, I didn't doubt at all, and I want him to be the Lord of my life, why am I not doing what he did and what he um, has commanded us to do? So many years ago, Sheila and I um, did baptism by immersion here. And Bill Amen. Mack, uh, many of you know Bill Mack. I wanted him to, to baptize us here, but that was an integral part. So for me, um, I can't separate the two. Um, you know, as far as Jesus being my Savior and Jesus being my Lord, and Him saying, uh, you know, He, Him going to John the Baptist and saying, "This is this is what I'm supposed to do to be right," and so I can't separate the two. So those that are struggling with that. Spend some time in the Word on it because uh, um, I think it, it was a, I don't know whether it was a pride issue, whether it was a fear issue, um, 
know that, that you know, as, as I spent more time in the Word, that it was, why would I not want to do what, what Jesus has asked us to do and, and to really fall under his Lordship and, and have him call the shots in my life. And, and I've been so much richer because of that. Amen. Did that answer your question? I think I think it did. I think it did. You know, and and, and he's right. A, a lot of people do struggle with that. You know, you know. I, I obviously I don't remember it, but I, I was sprinkled as a as a baby. Um, I'm not even sure what church it was, and I kind of grew up in church, but didn't. Grow, I was forced to go until I was old enough to say I'm not going. <laughs> um, and and uh, it was in '79 when studying the Bible, I came to realize that hey, this word baptize literally means immersion, right? Jesus never said repent and be sprinkled. Um, as a baby, I had no ability to repent. I couldn't make a decision. And I, when I was 19, I came to realize that I need to make the decision myself. Um, my mom and dad did it because they loved me, but they operated on the knowledge they had at the time. And, and, uh, and so and when I was 19, I, I was, you know, you know, saying like Tom, yeah, I make this and hey, I want Christ to be my savior and I want to do what he said to do. And because uh, um, Jesus said repentance to be you know, immersed. We actually had a, a baptism, you know, the, uh, this morning before church, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I looked, I came in wearing flip flops and a bathing suit when I came in the parking lot today. I wanted to stop in the store too, just so people could see me. I'm like, what, what is wrong with this guy? It's 30 degrees. He has flip-flops and a bathing suit on. But I figured, why come here to change if you know that's the first thing you're doing? So anyhow, I wasn't supposed to jump in there. So keep tabs on me, all right? All right. You know me. Yep. Right? Okay. Hey, what does that mean? <laughs> um, well, we're going to share. Uh, they're going to share. Um, and I'm going to try to be quiet. Um, like their favorite Bible character. And this time, Tom Zach Lawrence would like to be our lead-off hitter. <laughs> Pastor Steve said to keep it under 45 minutes. So, uh, Each. Each. <laughs> eight pages. So many years ago, there was a trivia question that came, a Bible trivia question. Uh, one of the main people in the Bible who never was quoted. And some of you may know that, but most of you won't. But it was Joseph, Mary's husband. Mm-hmm. It, um, Joseph, if you think about it, was a very, very, very important individual. Uh, but if you look, he's not quoted as saying anything. Uh, so all, all we know about Joseph was that he was, he was older than Mary. He was a carpenter. Don't know anything else about his family. Um, he was skilled at what he did. He was w- well-respected in his community. But he was, he was given the task to take care of the mother of Jesus and Jesus, which if you think about it, boy, uh, um, if, if he had truly understood what he was being called to do, I think, um, I don't think he would have been able to do it. So he was, um, he was a practical man. He understood uh, what was required by the law. Uh, and that was shown by um, going to Jerusalem for the Passover. Um, he was very obedient to God's direction because when he found out that Mary was with child and he knew it wasn't his, uh, he was going to uh, divorce her privately. Um, but the, you know, the angel came to him in a dream and 
said, nope, things are cool, you're going to take care of this woman, and you're going to take care of the child. And so he didn't quite understood it, understand it completely, uh, but he followed. He followed without questioning. Um, and so you know, when uh, he was also told in a dream to, to take uh, Mary and the baby to Egypt, got up and left. He didn't say, well, you know, I need to back to doing carpentry work and, and providing for the family. He took God's lead and went, and then he was told to go back, and he did. Uh, but, you know, the last we heard about Joseph was when Jesus was 12 and Jesus hung around after the Passover, uh, and they came back and they were worried about him. Um, but with uh, nothing else. But what was key to me, and um, what, I'll sh what I've shared with many people, is Joseph grew where God planted him. There was nothing special about Joseph. Uh, hmm. But he was dependable. He was simple. Uh, he listened for God's calling. And he did what he was hmm. supposed to do. And so he was... Uh, He's one of the main guys for me because uh, there are times when I'm thinking, do I have any influence here? Uh, is a light shining on me? But the, the light never shone on Joseph. He was, he, he was in the background. You know, Mary was up in the foreground with Jesus. And you know, as Jesus' ministry was, was going on, Mary was very much around as well. But Joseph had passed away by then. We assume that he had passed since then. But God called him for a role. And I look at my life that regardless of, of where God has me, he's, he's got me here for a reason. It could be, um, you know, just to plant seeds in my son so that God's got plans for him later. It could be for someone here at the church to give them a word of encouragement. It could be for one of my... Um, you know, we've got a couple real estate agents here. It could be um, to minister to one of my clients who's they're going through a divorce or a death yeah. in the family or financial difficulties. Uh, and that's where, where I want to be. I, I want uh, to grow where God's planted me. Amen. Amen. Do I get to do my verse too? <clears throat> do you wait on your verse? Well, okay, I'll wait on my verse. Okay. Yeah, we have to keep it going. <laughs> Steve? Who's your dude? So my guy is Moses, and uh, a lot of it is the character he displayed, and I hope to bring this out just quickly in a few minutes, and also the fact that he was an old dude when he really <laughs> was serving, serving for the Lord. I mean, he was 80 years old when he took on the, the mantle of, of guiding the, the Israelites, and so being a the old guy of the group here, it kind of motivates me that, you know, hey, you, when you get old, you, you still, there's plenty of things you can do Amen. to serve the Lord, and that, that truly is my goal. But when you look at Moses, he had three really different periods in his life. The first one, he was the prince of Egypt. Life was good, as, as far as the world would say. Then he was a, a really a, a, an isolated sheep herder for 40 years uh, east of Egypt and a place called uh, Midian, and uh, so he had a lot of time on his hands there. And, and finally, God called him to be the leader of, uh, of rescuing his people out of <coughs> excuse me out of 
out of Egypt and bringing them back to the promised land. And so I, I, I doubt Moses thought that was going to be a 40-year assignment, but that's what it turned out to be. Uh, but, uh, and, and Moses' birth was crazy. He was born when there was a genocide going on. The Pharaoh had decided that, hey, this, this, the Israelites are getting too many. They're having too many kids. And so I've got to stop the boys from, uh, from being born because they'll soon take over the country. And so the, when the midwives delivered a baby, if it was a girl... It was good. If it was a boy, they threw it in the Nile River. So can you can imagine how horrible that would be. But anyway, his, his mom had him and, and, and kept him for three months. And then she put him in a little basket and floated him down the water. And uh, the Pharaoh's uh, daughter found him. And so she felt sorry for him and kind of adopted him. And he became her, her, her son. And, and, and Moses' mom actually became the surrogate mom for, you know, until he was weaned away and everything. So it was really incredible how God had worked to, uh, to put Moses in this position. And it was really important because uh, being, a, being in Pharaoh's court, he was able to get a great education. He was military trained. He, had, he was probably one of the most learned people on earth. And so later he was going to write the five, first five books of the Bible. So he was very well equipped to do that. Mm. So anyway, but the, but the Bible tells us in Hebrews... 11, 24 through 26, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded uh, disgrace for the sake of God as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. So, so even though he, was, he had this really cushy lifestyle, he didn't want it. And we see that played out. He, he, was, he saw uh, his... his uh, Hebrew uh, family uh, being mistreated and he killed the Egyptian which was wrong and from that he, uh, Pharaoh was going to kill him and he had to run away and so he ran all the way to Midian and that's where he, he left this, uh, lived this isolated life. He had a wife and a couple kids and that he figured uh, probably that was going to be it for the rest of his life but God had uh, different plans for him and so he actually came to him, you guys know this story, in the burning bush and told him that you know, he, he wanted him to go to Pharaoh and get, and get him to release these people. And then he was to take them to the promised land that, that he and all of his ancestors had known about because God made this promise to Abraham years and years before that. And, well, Moses was reluctant to do that. And, and, and part of it probably was fear of going back and because and, he was still wanted and stuff like that. But I think it was more he was humble mm-hmm. because we, uh, in Exodus 3, 10 to 11... Uh, God finally said, look, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So it looks like he was, he was afraid and, and didn't really want to go, but that wasn't really the story. Moses was really a humble guy. And when you see the interaction he had, too, with, with Pharaoh and, and the people later, you don't really see that. But the Bible tells us, in Numbers uh, chapter 12, verses 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So, so that was, Moses by nature was a humble guy. And so, so for him, he didn't think he was, he was worthy to be the leader, you know, to go rescue the people and bring them back. But God had other plans and he told him to go. So you know the story after 10 plagues and all this stuff that went on, finally 
uh, Pharaoh released them, and they instead of going north into Canaan, they went kind of south and was hemmed up against the Red Sea, and, and through God's miracle of, with uh, Moses, they parted the Red Sea. They went across to, uh, uh, to the other side, which is now uh, Saudi Arabia and, and Jordan. But anyway, uh, what should have taken them a couple months, it was less than 200 miles from there to the, to, the, uh, to the land that God had promised them. They had to wander all these years. And uh, so Moses really had to not be a humble leader during that time. And he had to really depend on God because here you have two million people and they look, look for him for food and clothing and and water and just everything and they were continuously whining and I've got a couple passages I want to read about it was, it was like they had he had two million me's you know that there was <laughs> something was wrong the water wasn't cold or that uh, we don't want the manna we want meat and this, everything was a problem for him and he had to deal with this every day and it had, just had to be crushing on him to uh, and it, it, it got on God's last nerve you could imagine his too um, but during this time, he really had a, he developed this incredible relationship with God because, you know, he had to lean on him so much. And, uh, the Bible tells us in um, uh, uh, Numbers 12, 6 through 8, and the setting for this story was uh, Moses had a sister and a brother, uh, Aaron and Miriam, and they started whining about him too. And they, they started this little insurrection, and it was like, gosh, you know, that was his trusted confidants, and even they were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were looking down on him and complaining because he'd married a, a Midianite. So God heard this, and he actually chastised both of them, and, and he made uh, Miriam a leper for a week. She had to go out of the camp mm-hmm. for seven days. But this is what, this is one of the things that, that God told him. Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Mm-hmm. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful on my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. And we see that again uh, in Exodus 33, 9 and, 9 and 11. Uh, it says, as Moses went into the tent of meetings, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. So it, it's... To me, to me, it's almost unimaginable yeah. that uh, he could carry on a, converse, a conversation with God like that. It was, it was just amazing. And it was because of the faith and the trust that he had in God. And that, that really Amen. motivates it motivates me, but even though Moses got really angry with the people, God got angry with them too, and, and they deserved to be, to be chastised for their behavior a lot, but he was still compassionate to them. He still, uh, he still cared for them. He still wanted to be this, this good, faithful leader to them. And we see in Exodus 32, 31 through 32, so Moses... Um, and. Um, this was, this was uh, as I said before, when Miriam and, and, uh, and uh, Aaron had, had, was splitting for the program too, and God was real angry at them. Uh, no, I'm sorry, no, no. Th- this was when he went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Uh, 
And while he was gone, the people went totally crazy. This was probably their, their worst event ever. Mm-hmm. They literally took their jewelry and, and melted it down and somehow talked Aaron, who was in charge, into making this idol for them. And then they started worshiping this idol. And God saw this while he was with Moses, and he told Moses, hey, you're going to have to go back there, you know. And, and God was really angered at him. He was, this was going to be the, the final straw. And so, so Moses picked up the Ten Commandments and come down, and he saw this. And I, I can't remember if he was angry or, or what happened. But anyway, he dropped the tablets, and they broke. So not only he, he'd fumbled the Ten Commandments that God had written out for them, but he had, uh, and, and so, so uh, he knew that God was going to do something really bad to them. And so here's what Moses said. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, or a god of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So Moses was going to take responsibility for the, this behavior because he was the leader and he instead of punishing the people he said to punish him so God said no no that those who sin are going to get punished and so and severely and so then Moses said Moses said please turn from your fierce anger relent do not bring disaster on your people then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had he had threatened he punished them but he was going to annihilate them and because of Moses's uh, compassion for them and this relationship he had with God, he was able to spare them. And, and we see that over and over in, in Numbers 14. Uh, it was the same thing. They, in fact, the people got so mad, they were going to kill Moses. They were going to kill Moses and Aaron, stone them, p- pick out a new leader, and they were going to take off and go back to Egypt. They were just going to go back to their total old way of life and everything. And again, Moses had to plead with, and, and, and God saw this, and he told Moses, he said, I, don't, I, I, I can't deal with him any longer. And Moses said uh, to the, uh, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, and I'll make a great nation out of you and your descendants. And so Moses finally had an out. Okay, I can... I can I can trade in two plus million whining people to me and my wife and my two kids. And you thought, what a deal that is. But, but Moses didn't want to do that. He didn't, he didn't take the easy way out. He asked God, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And that was the truth. He pardoned them over and over again. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. So... So when I look at uh, Moses, I see humility, I see compassion. Uh, he was a great leader. He really wanted to, to, to finish the job that, that God had given him. And, and unfortunately, he actually, he actually defied God and wasn't able to go into the, uh, to the promised land, although God let him see it. But we read in Deuteronomy 34, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. And so, to me, it's amazing that Moses served God till literally he, he and God walked out and he died and God buried him. So yeah. that motivates me to keep serving to the end, whether it's five years, ten years, or Amen. 
I doubt it's going to be 120 years because I'm wearing out a lot faster than Moses did. But that's the reason I chose Moses, because of his character and also his faithfulness to the absolute very bitter end. Amen. Or good end in that case, really. Yeah, interesting. My turn? Yeah. Interesting enough, uh, I wanted to try to speak a little bit about Joshua. So Joshua and Moses' life were intimately entwined. And of course, we, we've already heard there was no prophet like Moses who spoke to God face to face. And as Steve has so uh, eloquently pointed out, it's no wonder that Moses was such a special person. He was a friend of God. They spent hours in conversation. How would you like to spend hours in conversation with God? How would you like to spend days? Well, Moses did it twice for 40 days uh, up on Mount Sinai, uh, receiving the law. It's 40 days speaking with God. Can you imagine what you would learn about God and your relationship with God in that time? So, and he was the most humble man on earth. Why did God choose the most humble man on earth? Because as Steve has pointed out many times, humility is not um, meekness is weakness. Humility is being able to consider and think of others more than yourself. But when you're going around looking out for the needs of a couple of million people, your ability to focus on others is paramount. So he picked the right man for the job. And this job was just overwhelming to Moses. And you would consider Joshua and the other leaders, what they went through. And, and Moses' father-in-law tried to give him some advice. And he said, why don't you get some people to help you here? You're going to be overwhelmed. Moses said a few times, God, this is killing me. Why don't you just go ahead and take me out? I've had enough, I can't stand it anymore, and God gave him help each and every time. Well, Joshua was one of those men. He was called a, a man of, uh, of, he was an exceptional man, is what the scripture said. And how did he become so exceptional? You know, what made Joshua exceptional? He's an ordinary man, he was a slave. Okay, he was a slave that came from generations of slaves. So where did this, all this ex- exceptional you know, character come from? You know, he got to watch his mom and dad come home every night. They were beat from making bricks. It was a dangerous situation. Uh, no telling when you could just lo- lose your life in that situation. Uh, certainly it wasn't a, a job to raise your self-esteem and make you feel uh, more important than others. But yet they held on to that promise. They held on to the promise that God gave Abraham that one day he would give them a promised land. That's what they knew. So either you believed that or you didn't as you went about your daily life of, of being a slave and doing this hard work. So as we talk about in, in our uh, class with Alden, and, I'm, uh, and I encourage some of you men to drop in and, and check us out sometime and see what it's about. It's, it's that Joshua was setting his guardrails in place, in other words, making life decisions before he was tested. 
In other words, he already knew that he trusted in God. He'd already spoken to God and said, God, if you use me in your plan, I'll step out there and get the job done for you. I will be a worker for you. He'd already made the decision ahead of time. He didn't have any power. He was a slave. But he made his choices and relayed those to God ahead of time so he could be a useful servant. So when Moses came and he got to see the glory of God, uh, Joshua, he, he responded. Okay, for one, Joshua was the firstborn. And at the end of the nine months of plagues, he pretty much believed by then everything that God had said he was going to do, he would do. So since he was firstborn, he knew that uh, the firstborn was going to die if you didn't go out and put the lamb's blood on the door. Well, don't you think Joshua was maybe out there supervising a little bit? Couldn't you see him out there saying, hey, make sure you get on there right, you know, maybe a little bit more over here, you know, just put it on a little thicker. And sitting up all night, anxious to find out what would happen that night and in the morning. And, and again, God proved to Joshua that his promises are true. And what he says will happen, happens. Okay, that just confirmed what Joshua, you know, had told himself. You know, I believe you, God. Now you've shown me I'm ready to go to work. Okay, and as they leave, and he sees more miracles, and they cross the Red Sea, and they come to uh, a place uh, where they're trying to get water, and um, they are ambushed. By the, by the Amalekites. Okay, Amalekites are de, de, descendants of Esau. So here you've got a family quarrel. You've got a family scrap going on. Okay, it's the, it's the children of Jacob and the children of Esau are literally fighting out here in the desert. And the Amalekites ambushed the, the weak stragglers that were falling behind and killed them. Okay, this angers God. And, uh, and at this point, they're going to have a fight. Moses needs a general. Okay, he turns to Joshua and says, you're it. You're, I mean, yeah. And, you know, you need to go out and fight this battle for me. And a lot of you know the story as long as Moses held his hands up, and uh, Aaron and Hur held, held him, helped him hold his hands up because it was a long day. They, they were fighting all day, and he had to sit down after a while, and they were helping him hold his hands up. They would win the battle. Okay, well, uh, so Joshua was that guy they could call on. He prepared himself. They needed a general. They needed an army. They had neither They'd been in captivity for 400 years. There was no army. There were no generals. But Moses said, I need an assistant. I need a general. Joshua, you're my man. He stepped in. He was ready. And they defeated the Amalekites. And also, God said, this is a teachable moment. You know, I'm going to need Joshua in the future, too. Uh, not just for this one battle. So he asked Moses to go to Joshua 
And by this time, God had named the place uh, Jehovah Nisi, which means God's my banner. Okay, so from here on out, God is going to be the banner uh, for all these battles they fight. In other words, God's, the, Moses and Joshua are giving God the credit. Okay, they know they didn't go out and win this battle from their own strength. It was God's power and God's the banner. And as long as they trust in him, they're going to win every battle. And God tells Moses, you go and review this with Joshua. In other words, it's a teachable moment. And you let him know that you're going to have these fights coming up in the future. And that you're going to need Joshua's help. <clears throat> so it was, <laughs> this was the beginning of a mentorship that was to last 40 years. And again, Joshua mentored under the best because he had a big job ahead of him as well. So he got the evidence from God. Here are the miracles. Joshua stepped in without hesitation and took action when action was needed. He also followed Moses in a worship way. Moses set up a tent outside called the tent of meeting where he would go meet with God and the cloud would come down. And the scripture tells us that after Moses would leave, Joshua would stay. Okay, he would stay in the tent. Well, I doubt Joshua was just a big lover of tents. He was staying in the tent because he was having his own personal time to go heart to heart with God. Okay, he saw Moses, he saw all this compassion, he saw all this giving, um, and then Moses takes him up on the mountain. Okay, God said, bring the leaders up to the mountain. This is afterwards. And uh, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses calls the leaders up to the mountain. He said, but you can't go up on the mountain. There's lightning, thunder, and clouds. I mean, it looks dangerous up on the mountain. And God tells them, if you come up here, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill anybody except you, Moses. So you draw a line in the sand and the people can stay back there and watch and wait. But God takes Joshua with him and he, and he goes up partway on the mountain and after a week or so, God says, Moses, come on up. Okay, I'm going to give you these commandments. And in 33 days, he's up there with Moses. I can just, again, I, it, it's mind-blowing. Okay, what conversation do you have with God? No food, no water, or anything for 33 days with God. This is, why, this is why nobody knew God the way Moses did. I mean, because that's a lot of time to be in the presence of God. But Joshua's in this neutral location on the mountain, and he waits there the whole time. So what does that tell you about Joshua? You know, Aaron and the other people of God are making big mistakes down in the valley. Okay, they're tempting Aaron to build them, build them a calf, something they can call God to worship and say, thank you for getting us out of all of this trouble. But Aaron knew that was wrong, to build an image of a God to worship. Okay, but he went along with it. Aaron, uh, Joshua was not part of that. He set himself apart and waited for Moses. 
to come down from the mountain. So Joshua was just a man who was available. He wasn't falling into what the crowd was doing. He wasn't making mistakes. Uh, He was independently following God and following his mentor, Moses. Okay, so what does all this lead up to? Okay, these 40 years of mentoring under the best when, you know, at the end of Moses' life, we hear that there was no other prophet like Moses, but yet, you know, the people come up to the promised land. Okay, we know Joshua went in with nine others, Joshua and Caleb, to survey the land. Um, <laughs> the eight of them give a bad report. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years because God is angry. They're, Joshua and Caleb are ripping their clothes saying, don't defy the Lord's command. He said, go in here and take this land. If you don't take it, we're going to be in big trouble. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go. They're tearing their clothes. They're yelling at the people, let's go. What are the people ready to do? Stone them. They're picking up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb. Okay, and then God intervenes. Then his judgments pass. They have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. How would you like to be the recipient of that judgment when you're suffering for somebody else's mistakes? Okay, what kind of patience and forbearance did that require of Moses and Joshua, Aaron, Miriam, other leaders, to say, well, I'll wander around in the desert with you for 40 years because you were stubborn and stiff-necked. Again, you wouldn't follow God's command. Not an easy thing to do, but it gives Moses another 40 years to tutor his, uh, his student, Joshua. And this all culminates in when they come back the second time, the people don't make the same mistake twice. And when God commissions Joshua and he says, Arise, get ready. Take the people across the Jordan to the land that I've promised Israelites, as I said I would do to to my friend Moses. This is the land I would give them. And every step of ground they step on, I'm going to give it to them. And uh, Joshua, I mean, straightway, line up, let's go. Okay, not only that, but he was big on rocks. So every time when they crossed the Jordan, he had uh, 10 leaders get 10 rocks and stack them up and say, remember this day what the Lord did. Okay, it's not anything I've done. Forget credit. You know, credit doesn't matter. This is a day to remember what God did. Okay, battle of Jericho, battle of Ai, and then Joshua... uh, leads a rededication of the covenant and gets up and reads the whole book of of Moses, the law to all the people. After they have their uh, success at the Battle of Ai, okay, then they have seven more years of successes under Joshua. Okay, he's been well prepared. Now the job's getting done. God's promise is being fulfilled through the leadership of Joshua. Joshua is no Moses, 
but yet he's able to get in there and do the job that God had for him to do, which was to complete the task. Okay, seven good years, the people are, are having success. Um, Joshua starts to hand off that role of going out and conquering more territories. Joshua rededicates the covenant again. This time he does a lot like Moses did, and he reviews the whole history from Abraham to the bondage in Egypt and how God miraculously <clears throat> saved his people. And, he, and this is where he gets you know, the, to the famous line, you folks can do whatever you want to do. Me and my family, we're going to worship God. Okay, and everybody stands up and gets excited. And No, we're worshiping God too. And Joshua says, like Moses, you, you guys just can't do it. You're not there yet. You don't have the maturity to not get influenced by these Canaanite peoples. Yes, we can. Uh, we're worshiping God, Joshua. So Joshua takes their names down and sets up another rock and, you know, by the covenant, hey, rock, you heard all these, you know, you're a witness to what all these people said. And he records the event in the law and he puts it in the law. And he says, this is so you remember on this day, you said you're going to follow the Lord and the Lord only. So Joshua finishes strong, and then, uh, and then he, he lives out the rest of his life as a faithful servant. But uh, he's soon to come to the end of his life, and, and just like he and Moses predicted, they start to fall into a little trouble after that. But there you go. There's the story of Joshua. A lot of mentoring for God's promises to be fulfilled in the end, just as God promised. But that says a lot about how much we have to work, how we need to work. You know, God doesn't give us easy answers. He says we prepare ourselves, and he provides the answers, the solutions. Amen. Uh, you know, this was an opportunity today, and we'll, we'll do this in the future for you guys get to know our our leaders, uh, uh, a little bit of their story, a little bit of some of who their heroes are in, in scriptures. I think that's important. And, and just know that th these are good men. They're not perfect. No one in this room is hmm. perfect. Uh, but these are guys who love the Lord. Uh, I really want to encourage you guys to pray for them. Uh, you know, and, and you can know that you know, the guys on the stage are, are you know, we're united. We love each other. You know, uh, uh, we care about each other. Uh, we pray for each other. Uh, we really do have each other's backs. You know, I mean, you know, this is without a doubt the most united team I've, I've ever been on. And uh, I can't remember how long I've been doing ministry, but it's been a long time. <laughs> 27, no, 28. Yeah, 28. Wow, 28 years. I started when I was five. So <laughs> just 33 now. Uh, but, uh, um, and, and these guys are approachable, right? You know, uh, part of this, you know, you can approach these guys. If you have a prayer need, um, they're always pr willing to pray for you anytime. There's that little block on the connection card. You know, if you want an elder to, to meet with you or to pray with you, you can check that um, because they really do care about you and they really do want to help you 
uh, minister to your needs and your journey with Christ. And um, the way I like to just end this before we go into the, uh, our, our closing song is that this is a good opportunity to pray over these guys. Yeah, um, and, uh, and so if some of you folks want to just come up here and, and uh, I'm going to pray. But let's just lay hands on our leaders. The praise team can come on up. And uh, yeah, to be a shepherd of God's people is a big deal. Father God, we, uh, we humbly come before you. Um, there's no one like you, God. No one compares to you. Um, Father, you are um, the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters. And, and, and yet you instill upon uh, your leaders, and you call them shepherds, Lord, the same title that you give yourself. And God, right now, I, I just pray for, you know, for Tom and, and Steve and Jeff, God, that you would be with them. God, that you would bless them, that you would watch over them. God, that you would guard and guide their steps, that you would protect them from the evil one. God, that you would help them to be the, um, the men um, you want them to be, the, the husbands, the fathers, the grandfathers that you want them to be, to be the mentors that you want them to be. Uh, God, uh, I, I pray uh, for the body, uh, that the body will uh, keep them and um, the rest of the leadership, Lord, in prayer constantly. God, give these men wisdom, give them courage, give them boldness. Lord, help them to always lean on you. Um, I pray that you would just increase their hunger for the word and their passion for the loss and their compassion for the world and for this body, Lord. Um, God, we love them. And, and God, just uh, as Joshua said, Lord, uh, Lord, as you said to Joshua, rather, God, help them to be strong and courageous, Lord, um, to not be afraid of anything. God, help them to lead this church forward in a way that brings you honor and glory. Uh, God, help them never to seek uh, praise or honor for themselves, but to always just seek uh, praise and honor for you, uh, our King. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.